But growing up with the arts, you always have the feeling and the perspective of anything's possible and and an excitement and and an outlet. Like it's always there and it never disappoints you. Hi, I'm Matt McKee. I created the Cherry Bomb and the Sweet Blast series of limited edition photos with the mission to start the conversations in the room about the bigger topics of food, art, and sustainability. This podcast is the companion piece to that project where I get to share with you some of the discussions that Sweet Blast has inspired. You can find out more about the Sweet Blast series as well as other projects I am working on at theartofmattmckee.com. Today, I'm talking with Rita Ficillo, publisher of, among other things, Art New England, which is celebrating, I think, its 44th year as one of the country's leading visual arts and contemporary culture magazines. Rita, it's so good to see you again. It's been so long. (laughs) I know. It's been a long time. Long Uh, year. Yeah, a long, strange year. So as we're coming out of this pandemic slowly but surely, what are you working on now for Art New England? We're working on reconnecting with New England, which has proven to be even more joyous and more rewarding than I thought. I mean, art never stopped last year. Artists didn't stop making art. I think the art that comes out of last year is mind-blowing, and we'll continue to see that through the course of this year and beyond. It was hard to be dark. It was hard to not know when we would be able to publish again. So we worked on the website and which looks great. We uh, started to re-engage. Everyone was still closed. People started to open their doors a little bit. We decided that January just had to be the time where we went for it. The symbolism of the new year and a new president and just new hope. And, and people were awesome. People were uh, terrific. Subscribers were terrific. But mostly it was it was the artists and, and the institutions, the cultural institutions and the museums that there was just so much to write about, so much to, so many pictures, so many, so many stories. I mean, I, Art New England is a storyteller first and foremost, and the stories that are coming out now and will for the rest of the year are are incredibly compelling. Uh, the arts prior to the pandemic and and actually through it where it could happen were aimed pretty solidly at the numerous crises like the op- opioid crisis, the treatment of people from LGBTQA, BIPOC, uh, women, climate change. Um, they seem like those things really have kind of come to the forefront, especially during this, this period. I guess from a weird question would be to ask, um, have we solved anything yet? Have we solved anything no, I don't think that that any of those crises are are solved. I think it's all ongoing. What we are solving is how to talk about them and how to listen better, I think. That's one thing I've learned more about the past year than ever is the art of listening and listening with empathy and with kindness. And I think... So, so the listening is different now, which makes the conversation different, which means maybe we're closer to solving and resolving things. Um, none of those subjects have any quick fixes. So no. what I am seeing, though, with the art that is out there and, and, and being made and being talked about uh, is art as a vehicle for those conversations more than it's ever been before. And then we're trying to take that art and put it into words so that it's accessible to people. So they start uh, feeling what the artist is feeling. And so art has been the right language of, of this moment. 
so I don't mean to sound pessimistic. I'm very optimistic about these things becoming resolved. And I think art is a great facilitator. I think we're on the road to resolving. Wonderful. Once we open things up a little bit more and actually can have people going to shows and uh, not just communicating online, I think that in-person conversation is going to to be able to help things a lot better because you're able to I, I had an interesting experience recently where somebody emailed me a short answer to some questions I was asking about a project that my Rotary Club is working on and his short answers I didn't understand his perspective of it and it felt very it felt almost nasty and wrong what he was saying hmm. further along the conversation he explained his rationale behind it and it was a, a very valid perspective and it was very important to hear but because we're trying to communicate over email and through zoom and all these things where you don't have these offline casual right. bump into somebody and talk about it it becomes very difficult to communicate an idea if no one's if someone doesn't want to read a 500 word a thousand word, 1500 word essay, you're not going to get to the meat of the problem. Mm -hmm. And in person, I think that, you know, you can take that article at that point and take those concepts and say, wait a minute, let, let's talk about it a little further. I understand your point of view, but here's where I'm coming from. Exactly. I mean, we've been so closed off from each other for over a year now. Zooms or emails or texts, there's so much room for misinterpretation and miscommunication and, and there's no emotion or tone or, you know, people are reading between the lines and often incorrectly. And I think you need all these things happening simultaneously. You know, you need to read something. You need to walk through a museum and see the art. You need to then. I can't wait to do for, that. I know. My God, can you imagine? Then you need to go to your friend's house and have a coffee and say, my God, I just saw this or I just read this. And then you engage with your friend and then you decide, oh, I'm going to learn more. Then you go to the lecture at your local university. And it's all about the interaction. You know, it's not just one thing alone. That's the, you know, that's the fix. It's all of this coming together again in a normal society, you know, where we're all like normally interacting, which I will never take for granted ever again. <laughs> I know that's that's been a huge thing for me is just I took for granted the fact that I would go out to like two events a week right. and meet people and talk with people. And now it's you know, oh, I have to do another Zoom call. This is my first one this week. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I, I need that interaction. Mm -hmm. So since you have your finger on the pulse, as it were, of <laughs> uh, certainly art in New England, but you also are watching the, the greater national scene, where do you see the arts going next with everything opening up in the next two, six months? I think theater, dance, live performances, concerts, I think all the right people are getting together and having these massive think tank discussions right now and trying to figure out how to gather safely. And I think with each passing day and thousands of more people becoming vaccinated and thousands more people doing the right thing and still wearing your masks, we'll be much closer to figuring those problems out. It's not a light switch, you know, it went off like a light switch, but it doesn't go back yeah. on like... A light switch. Yeah, definitely. So much money was lost. And so many people, so many artists went to different places. People went home. They had to let go of their apartments. They had to find new places to live and new occupations to keep them afloat because they couldn't perform for all this time. So I think that there's a lot of regrouping. There's a lot of people that have to go back to New York and and hopefully get their, their gig back. Locally here, you see such optimism with the emails that I get from the local theater companies and dance companies. And everyone's all about engagement and letting 
letting their fans and admirers know that it is coming back and thank you for your patience. I think it's going to I think it's going to be amazing when it does, but I don't think we're going to see a normal steady flow of things until maybe fourth quarter entering into first quarter of 22. I mean, I'm the biggest theater geek in the world. And even I'm nervous about what what I'll feel like my first time back in a crowded theater, you know? Yes, I understand that. Uh, I'm very nervous about being in crowds. Yeah. I was nervous before, and this is going to be an interesting experience. You want it yeah. so badly, but you also want to be ready for it. And I think we're all so nervous because we've been through so much. We've been traumatized, you know, and we want we want everything to be safe. So I think the smart people in the room are getting together and they're figuring it all out on the small level, the large level. I think stuff that I'm hearing about in New York is so promising. Outdoor venues are being utilized in ways in which they'd never been used before. There's a wonderful stage company on the North Shore that had been performing indoors and now partnered with an outdoor cultural organization to perform their season this summer outside. Brilliant, oh, wow. brilliant collaboration. Win-win yeah. for both. And then the audience gets to come back. So win-win-win. So exactly. So I think that type of ingenuity and partnership is what's going to get us through the next, you know, through the summer anyway. Yeah. And the museums are amazing with what they've done to keep people safe, to keep their keep people secure to keep their 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 properties spotless and the protocols the signage we I mean, my hats off to those institutions they really have bent over backwards to figure it out and then to keep us engaged with all the virtual programming it's astounding so we celebrate them in this next issue because their doors are reopening and they've, they've figured it out the time ticketing has worked really well i mean it might be a logistical nightmare but it really works for the for the patron the mfa was doing that before with uh, with some of their special show. Yeah. So it seems like there were protocols that were sort of in place. They just needed to be ramped up for the whole yeah. facility. I mean, who knew they'd be used in, to this degree, right? But um, yeah, yeah it's, made, it's made a big difference. So they are coming back. It will be, I think, methodical, but it's definitely back, coming back. One of my passions and one of the reasons behind Sweet Blast and Cherry Bomb is sustainability with a concentration, obviously, on food. You had shared with me earlier when we were talking about this that your relationship with food also has changed somewhat over the lockdown period. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? I have such a deeper respect for farms and farmers and farm stands than I've ever had before. Food, the process of, of acquiring food, preparing food, presenting food, and then what food you're actually eating to maintain your health all took on a greater meaning this year for me. There were times you couldn't get the food that you wanted. And then, of course, I was too afraid to go into a grocery store. So I'm doing everything at farm stands and met such cool people going to various farm stands on the Cape and then also um, up here in the South Shore and the North Shore. I bought these wonderful, large, organic plants. We grew vegetables on our back deck. Oh, wow. So it was kind of a, a deep appreciation for how food is is made and grown. And I loved seeing other people with the same thoughts. Every time we went to the farm stand, there was a crowd, you know. 
So there was this new appreciation for, for the growers. I found a company that sells food to its members, that food that's been rejected by grocery stores. It's organic fruits and produce, but they might not be pretty anymore. Maybe they're dented or they just are misshapen in some way. And the grocery stores don't take them because it doesn't fit their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And you get great prices and food's not being wasted. So that made me feel really good. Uh, and then there's the art of cooking. Cooking was my zen. You know, I was so stressed out and so nervous. We, we had some losses to the virus. A, a really wonderful friend, my partner's husband, uh, my partner's father, and it was sad. It was just so I poured myself into reading and meditation, and and then food. You know, eat the art of eating food. You know, you eat. We eat more slowly now, and with with more appreciation. I have become a much better cook, which is a good thing. I think we're eating a lot, but so <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but the but what what goes into the ingredients, you know, and so it's been it's been a real education. Absolutely, I, one of the things that uh, if anything good could be said to have come out of the pandemic, it's that in my case, I've slowed down and actually started looking at what I'm putting in my mouth, mm-hmm. even though you know. Obviously, I started the series 10 years ago. I still was grab a burger or something on the run, Uh granola bar or whatever, you know, processed food. And uh, now I'm slowing down and starting to understand better what I'm doing in ways that I never would have thought. If anything could be said to be good about the pandemic, it was that. As I recall from the before times, um, whenever we would run into each other on the street and and at different shows, you were always busy. And I get the feeling, though, that you you still work at a pretty high pace. Uh, One that kind of puts me to shame with putting out the magazines and all that. What are you doing now? You, you had mentioned doing uh, meditation. Yeah. So I had a lot of anxiety like everybody else did in the beginning of this, which led to more insomnia and just anxiety about how to stay safe, how to still function, right? Yeah. Psychologically, emotionally, professionally. And it was really hard. And I got very lucky and through another colleague was introduced to this woman who actually lives in California and she's a wonderful healer. And we started to work together. I learned a lot about how to calm myself down and to do some very simple, basic meditation and gratitude practices every day. But this time they really stuck. I mean, I've tried these things. I've stopped and started my whole life, but never got into a groove with it. But this time it really stuck. That led to chatting with another colleague who said, wow, you know, we should really consider this great life coaching course that this other friend of mine is giving. And long story short, we did that. And I became a certified life coach in December. Congratulations! And then I'm continuing my studies through a program out of Stanford University. So as you were talking about slowing down and, you know, when it came to food, I've kind of slowed myself down just in terms of pace. I mean, I didn't have the hectic day job anymore. There was a different type of tension and a different type of of anxiety. It wasn't from running around with all the magazines and all the events and things like that. It was from well, how do I get that back, you know, and what do we do in the interim? But I think it forced a lot of people to think about self-care in different ways from a food perspective, from a sleep perspective, uh, mental health perspective. And we were all afraid. So all these things just helped me be less afraid and more calm and which goes back to the listening and the empathy and the kindness, which I hope is being, you know, restored on a, on a much larger level. But, but for me, I felt like what 
what better time could there possibly be to just work on this stuff and figure it out? And wouldn't it be amazing if millions of other people were doing the exact same thing? And when we come out of this, we really do have a better place to live as a result. A friend of mine was uh, asking me what my word of the year was uh, back in January. <laughs> and I said mindfulness. Uh-huh. I hate catch words like that because they, they start getting very, you know, touchy-feely, frou-frou kind of thing. But <laughs> at the same time, though, if you, if you get away from what the stereotype is of it. Mindfulness is simply thinking about what you're doing and taking the time to pause and reflect and be grateful, as you said, for what you've got going on. And uh, I think that's very important for all of us to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. One of the things that keeps coming back to me as I look at my kids and I think back to when I was their age, I think to myself just how much my perspective has changed. Certainly, from the beginning of the pandemic to now, and certainly from my own youth to now. How has your perspective changed from when you first started out as a young professional in in the arts world? My perspective on Um, on what? In particular, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> when I was framing this question, I was thinking about when I when I started out uh-huh. as a young professional, um, getting out of high school, getting out of college. I thought the college experience was supposed to be one thing, and it turned out that I didn't realize that I was a consumer when I was at college and I had rights when I was at college. So the first five of the 10 years I went through college. And when I got out Mm -hmm. into the world as a photographer, I thought I was one thing and I thought it meant one thing. And I thought if you just build it, they will come. And it turns out, no, I'm, I'm a service person. I'm a business person as well as an artist. So in a lot of ways, my perspective was changed and has continued to grow. I don't know a lot about your backstory, so I don't, I I just know you as the publisher and the uh, arts uh, (laughs) cheerleader who I always run into at these things and you always have wonderful insights into things. But I'm wondering where you started and and how your perspective of things has changed. Oh, that's a big and wonderful question. I always grew up with the arts and I always had an understanding and this was thanks to uh, my aunt who, who raised me. And she was embedded in the arts herself. So that lens from a child to now, I can't think of a better perspective to begin life with. Uh, and, and it never changed for me. The arts have been the end all be all and the common thread through everything in my life. I thought I would perform. I thought I would sing and dance on stage. It turns out, you know, I had a little talent. I didn't have, you know, I'm not... Patty Lapone or, you know, anything like that. So I figured that part out, thankfully, but I realized that I had a capacity for business and a capacity to help other artists do what they do or help be a platform for them or a voice for them, for them in some capacity. But growing up with the arts, you always have the feeling and the perspective of anything's possible and and an excitement and, and an outlet. Like it's always there and it never disappoints you. So I always felt like a student of the arts. No matter all the ups and downs of my of my life, nothing ever changed there. The arts were always there, you know, and we don't realize how much of the arts are in our soul. You know, we're watching something on television right now, or it's still the arts. There are people there who are entertaining us. We listen to music, soothes our soul. You know, that is that is art. You know, we, we watch now, it's virtual, but we plug into some programming at a museum. We turn to the arts for everything. And I'm hoping that people are appreciating that a lot more. And I think the arts give you a a hopeful perspective. And I've always been a glass half full type of person. And I credit that toward growing up in a very artsy household and, and never, never not finding joy 
all, and that's my word of the year, joy. Fantastic. Wow. Even in the darkest moments, you know, the arts has, has never failed us. So I've never stopped being a student. I've never stopped being a student of the arts. I've never lost my optimism despite, you know, the ups and downs of, of life. And I think my perspective now, uh, I, I think I just wake up more and more. You know, I just, again, I just go back to the analogy of being a student. That's wonderful. I'm like a sponge. I just want to learn stuff. And yeah. I want every day to be different. And and that, that <laughs> is the case. Very much so. Very much so. <laughs> That's <definitely> the case. <laughs> so looking back from, say, 50 years from now, what do you think your legacy is? My legacy, I want to, I want to be seen as a, as a real arts, I want to be remembered for being an arts cheerleader, as you say, an arts champion. I want to be... Champion is a much better word. <laughs> uh, I want to be remembered for creating opportunity for artists to get their message out there. I want to be remembered for being fair and fun and, and a good journalist, you know, someone that's that's gotten that part right, that's shared in important information in an accessible way and made an impact, either, either through myself personally in some capacity or certainly through the magazine, that it, that it, that it made a difference, you know, that it, that it did what we I think you, hoped it would do. in a lot of ways for a lot of artists and uh, institutions have succeeded there, in my humble opinion. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for saying that. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for checking in with Cherry Bomb, the podcast, the companion piece to Sweet Blast, which can be found at theartofmattmckee.com. Rita Facillo can be found at artnewengland.com. Cherry Bomb, the podcast, is produced by me with consulting help from Suzanne Schultz and Canvas Fine Arts. Please like and review the pod so others can find us, and let's please start the conversation.